This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author of Fanatical Prospecting and Sales EQ, and I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. In part five of my conversation with Anthony and Arino about competitive displacement, we do a deep dive into discovery. And you're going to love this episode and pay close attention because discovery is the most important component of competitive complacement, your ability to kick your competitors out of their accounts. Before we get started, let me tell you how I eat my competitor's lunch. It's called Outbound Cards. Outbound Cards is taking snail mail and putting it on 21st century rocket fuel. From a simple app on my phone with just a couple of clicks, I'm able to send customized cards in the mail that gets people's attention. It makes me stand out and it gets me in the door so that I have an opportunity to kick my competitors out of their accounts. So if you want to learn more, go to OutboundCards.com. That's OutboundCards.com. And here's the good news. When you sign up, your first card is for free and there's no credit card required. That's OutboundCards.com. And now I continue my conversation with Anthony Anarino on competitive displacement. Let's go back to discovery. So if we go back, what, 30 years, uh, one of the greatest books ever written on discovery was Spin Selling. Uh, Neil Rackham wrote the book. And along the way, every sales book out there has written on the value of discovery. And yet discovery is a place where if you as a, as a sales trainer, uh, me as a sales trainer, as an author, uh, as a person that, that works with, with salespeople, uh, it's the weakest part of the sales process, even after all the research, all the years, all the work that's been put into this. And even today, some of these, you know, highfalutin tech companies out there that are building tech stacks are doing surveys that we already know the, the answer to that says discovery is where it happens. And one of the things that I know to be true in displacement sales is that 80% of the sale is in discovery. And in fact, this is important, and I believe this to be true, and I know it to be true, that most deals in competitive displacement are closed in discovery. Not that there's an, an, a, a, an overt place where the person says, leans forward and says, let me sign here, but there's a decision point in discovery, I don't always know where it is, that they make the decision for me. And then the rest of the process, all the other commitments that happen after that are simply assuring them that this was the right decision that they made. Now, you have a really, really tough chapter, and I'm glad to see that, inside Eat Their Lunch, uh, and you break uh, discovery into four quadrants. So, and this is really important, and can you please walk us through why this is important and how these four quadrants work together to, to help you close the deal before your competitor even knows that you've already eaten their lunch? I, I think it's interesting what you said because you may have, I, you don't win the deal when the client signs a paper. That's for sure. It might be as quick as the first seven seconds you're sitting there, to be honest with you. In some cases, it might be like, wait, this, this is right already. It's hard to say when that happens, but it happens way earlier than you think it does. I think it's a great point that you made there and it bears repeating. How you show up, and I just got done talking about you because we were talking about outbound in a hotel room in Atlanta, and you had to go make a client call, and you're like, hey, everybody. You went like right up to, you know, energy was really good because you know you got to show up, right? So he's showing up. 
So the idea about discovery is I think that what, what's changed about discovery is our job is to help the client discover something about themselves and how to really make change in their organization. If you take the three books that I wrote and find the word that appears the most across all three, it's the word change. And that's really what we're doing. We're trying to change them not only from a competitor, but from the status quo, from the current state to a better future state. It's all about change. So there's four quadrants. And the first one, I think we're all really good at, and it's called the individual interior. So that is, what do they believe? What are their values? What do they care about? How do they look at the world? And that's all part of Mindshare. How do they view their business or their challenge? So that part we're really good at because we ask questions. We're trying to get them to let us know what's inside their brain because you can't see it. I see all these studies that are like, if you put an fMRI on a person and you ask this, yeah, but I don't have an fMRI machine when I make a sales call. So I'm having to count on evolution allowing me to be able to pick things up from people. Well, the second part is the individual exterior. So what are they doing? And a lot of times, if you pay attention and just take what I just said, you're going to hear somebody say something like, Jeb, it's really, really important that we control our costs. And then you look at what they're doing in the outside world and you're like, well, apparently it's not that important because you're trying to get the lowest price and your costs are exploding. So what you're doing is at odds. And now if I can teach you that, I've just helped you discover something. You're under-investing in the result that you need. Now you've learned something about yourself. There's two other quadrants. So every human being is an individual, but they belong to a lot of collectives. So you and I have a tribe called Outbound. That's our tribe. Those are our people. And they show up and they're our people and we're their people. So that's why we're together. But in a business, there's a culture and the culture has some values too. So as a salesperson, what you have to recognize as you're talking to people is what is that culture like? Because a leader comes in and says, I'm going to impose my will on this organization and they're going to make changes because I'm an authority and I'm the boss. And the culture's like, we're going to wait you out like we wait everybody out. We can wait you out because we're not ready to make that change. And so when you see the cultural difference, you understand we have to go seed this idea with a gr other group of people to bring them along. Otherwise, they're going to resist this. They're going to feel like they were left out and the culture is going to resist the change that we're trying to make. Almost like you transplant an organ in a body and the body rejects it. And people don't know why. Well, I sold the account, but then it didn't happen. It didn't work. Well, that's because the, the exterior isn't working, the, the collective. And then there's the collective outside. So what are their processes? What are their systems? How do they do things? And so you're looking at that and going, does what they do match up with what they're trying to do? And now here's the biggest challenge for most of us in sales now. We have to get the client to discover this about themselves so they make the changes on their side. Because you can come in and make all the changes you want, but if they don't change the parts that they need to change, you never get the result. This is a different level of discovery. I will admit it's a difficult chapter because I teach something called integral theory. But if you just get these four questions, what do they believe? What are they doing? What does the culture believe and what are they going to do? And what do they have to change to be able to get this done? You've got a set of questions that are going to give you a much clearer lens than anything that anybody's give us, given us for discovery so far. Uh, Rackham spin selling is a great questioning methodology for discovery. And you can use that in this because methodologies aren't generally exclusive. But what you're looking for is what's really the truth here. And then how do I get a better understanding of how to help these people? I, I love what you said about what's really the truth. And one of the dangers with, with, with spin selling that I see is that <clears throat> we have a set of, of questions. We have a methodology to go through. So the methodology becomes the, the, the process. 
And the salesperson is so focused on the methodology that they don't pay attention to what's the real truth. So, and, and the, the, though you were doing this, but it's congruence, it's congruence between right. what they're saying and what they're doing. And from, and, and you know, I do this naturally, but I, but I, I think about all the conversations I have with my own sales team here at sales gravy, because I'm always asking that. And I'm always looking at it. I'm, I, in fact, we had this conversation just yesterday about a big contract that we're working on and we're sitting down with the executive team to do a, pr- a presentation. And with my, the salesperson who's the lead salesperson on this, I'm saying, you're saying this, right? But I'm watching this. They're doing this and they're saying this. These two things don't match. And if these two things don't match, we have no shot at this because right. they're going to see our proposal. And, it's, and, and even though it's what they say they want, when they, when they start looking at internally what they feel that they want, it's not going to work. So we have to call them out in a way, right. the nice way, but we have to ask a question that gets them to come to grips with the fact that they are saying two different things. Discover, discover something about themselves. They have exactly. to discover something about themselves. But salespeople don't do that. Now, the other thing is to understand the truth, you have to pay attention to emotional cues. Right. And your questions, your discovery questions have to follow those emotional cues organically. And this, by the way, is, is where you see new salespeople have a hard time. They have a list of questions. So the, the, the discovery becomes an interrogation rather than a conversation. And the salesperson is only paying attention to the questions. And in my book, Sales EQ, I kind of take this on, not, not to, the, to the extent that you did with the four quadrants, which I really admire, but, but more of it, it, can you be in the moment? Can you be outcome focused, driven towards the outcome that you want to get to? But in, but your questions are organic. They're empathetic. They're they're paying attention to what's going on. And as Anthony said, and this is just so powerful, are you paying attention to the truth? Because if you're paying attention to the truth, then everything that you all the the, the things that you bridge to the value, right? All of that is bridged to their language, their situation, their truth rather than the truth that you want to see, because that truth answers your, you know, your own, um, I don't know, uh, you know, preconceived notion or prejudgment about what they're going to say and your own warped idea about how you're going to close the deal. Now I disagree with you on the best forward mm-hmm. ever written for a book. I mean, sales EQ has one of the best forwards. I mean, if you're looking at forwards and you're just measuring them, I think on a word count, probably the most powerful use of very few words, maybe. That, that may be true. Maybe we have to have a, like a forward off, right? We'll put them both online and do a vote. And then you could put some of Weinberg's and Hunter's up and you'll have a bunch to choose from. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we, we, we have sometimes what's called happy ears. You know, you're hearing what you want to hear so you can go back and say, they're totally dissatisfied. They definitely are going to move. Well, no, based on what they're doing and, and what they're saying, they're not going to move. And here's why. And it hurts salespeople's feelings when that happens. But you have to understand, you, you have to look at the truth and say, what can I do with the truth? And if you really want to be a trusted advisor, you ask the hard questions. And, and what you say is, Jeb, listen, what you're saying about what you want in the way of a bigger pipeline is in conflict with your willingness to hold people accountable for picking up the phone how do we change the accountability so that you can get the results that you really want here? And the person who's a grown up in the room and who can have that conversation is going to win because I'm, I'm not willing to look at an elephant in the room and go, what elephant? I'm like, the elephant's right there. It's called accountability. And unless you, you give that elephant a name and do something about it, you're, you're going to have it run roughshod over the whole jungle. I mean, you got to get something done here. 
And I think that what, what most salespeople are afraid of, there's so much stuff, so much noise and nonsense about you don't need to be liked. Being liked is really helpful. What, what they really mean to say and they misunderstand is you can't have a high need to be liked. You, you can't say, well, I don't want to have this tough conversation because I don't want anybody not to like me. When somebody's trying to get a new result, they're going to like the person who can help them. And you can be likable and you can do it, I mean, in a playful way. I think your nature and my nature is playful. You know, we'll, we'll tease people. We'll, we'll make light of something. We'll find a way to have levity around the conversation. But we're going to talk about the elephant because ultimately, I can't get you the result if we don't do something about this. And it's critically important. It's, you're exactly right. And it's, you know, it's, um, when you think about being likable, it's, it's, it's not, it's not what anybody thinks. Like they're, they're thinking that you have to glad hand, you have to be charismatic and certainly, you know, having a good demeanor and being nice is important. Uh, But, you know, I've sold millions of dollars and never taken anybody to play golf or have lunch or do any of the things that we typically think about in terms of being likable. What, what I know to be true is that the easiest, fastest way to be likable is to listen to someone. Yeah. And the easiest, fastest way to make someone feel important is to listen to them. And if you just think about that, this is why discovery is so important. If you're going through a list of questions without regard to the truth or to the emotional connection that you are making, or you're not paying attention to what the person is saying and how they're saying it and asking questions around that, then you're not likable because they know you're not listening to them. And, and, you know, this is just really simple, right? As, as, as soon as, you know, you, you, your, your mouth opens, right? Your ears turn off and so does your prospect. This is what happens in questions. But if you think about discovery as a process of demonstrating that you're likable because you care and you're sincere, even if the question is tough, Right. And by the way, a lot of I, I'm in situations like that. Sometimes I get up and walk away and I don't just walk out of the room. I just shake their hand and say, I'm not the right fit for you right now. This is what you say. This is where you are. And until these two things come together, there's a better person over here for you than me. And I do that because a, I have a full pipeline, but also because I'm paying attention and I don't want to spend three months going down a road in a competitive placement displacement situation where I know that status quo bias and safety bias is always going to be my biggest competitor. I don't want to do that in a situation where I can't, I can't get my wedge in, you know, in that truth and, and, and flip the switch so that all of a sudden, you know, I've got them thinking I have to make a change. If I can't provoke that or change that, I'm not going to work. And it's not what I say, it's what I ask. And that's what people don't get, especially when we start thinking about, I'm going to get my soapbox for a second, the whole challenger notion. The reason challenger fails is people think that challenger is about talking. Challenger, if you want to challenge someone, ask them a strategic and artful question that makes them think, that hurts their feeling, that that helps them become aware that they have a problem or an issue or a pain or, and this is important for all the Sandler folks out there, or an opportunity. It's not just pain. It's, it's, It's what the future state might be. If you do that, then you win. But see, salespeople keep shortcutting that process, and they don't think about all those quadrants that you were talking about. It's about what you ask. In competitive displacement, I, I've, I've got some problem with my mouth right now, right? In, com- in competitive displacement, right, it's about provoking the person into changing the way they think about the need to change. And you will never do that with what you say. You will never talk someone into changing because in these situations, people are changing for their reasons, not yours. Yeah, I wrote a blog post a few weeks ago about the importance of traditional discovery, understanding the pain points. That's still good. 
The, the only thing is it's just not enough anymore. I, I have to get you to understand why you have to change. And asking you for your pain points just doesn't tend to do it anymore. So I still think there's a lot of cases with end user stakeholders and other people, not, not C-level executives, but a lot of people, they want to tell somebody the problems that they're having. But until you get them to discover something about themselves, and that's the strategic well-placed question that causes them to go, wait a second, we'd have to change this if we wanted a different result. Got it. They, you're right. That's where we are. And, and, and that's the art uh, of the good question in, in a sales conversation. Well, you're dealing with human cognitive dissonance, right? I can't hold two values at the same time because it's painful. So when you ask them to tell you about their pain, right, they don't want to tell you about their pain, especially if they pick the vendor that's causing them pain. Because for them to tell you that the vendor's failing means that they also failed in picking a vendor. And I can't do that at the same time. And, you know, it's so funny. I was, uh, I was in, a, in a sales call with one of my clients, and this is a multi-million dollar deal. And the salesperson literally said the words, can you tell me about your pain points? I actually asked the question. I kicked him under the desk as hard as I possibly could. He winced. I'm like, that is the, like, why would you ask someone that question? They're not going to say that to you. So if I walk up to a stranger on the street, what are your pain points? You know, they're going to go, screw you. I don't have a relationship. I haven't even earned the right. And it's much more the art of the question, the art of the conversation. And that's why it's got to be organic. It's, it, you've got to build the process. I, I'm, I'm going to build that into my, I'm going to build that into uh, everything I do. I'm just going to say, Jeb, listen, what is it right now that should be compelling you to change? And, 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 and yeah, like just go, we'll, we'll, we'll cut out all the questions. We'll just get right to the main question. Yeah. Well, that's, that's just what, not, that's just not how people operate. You know, they're, they're closed off. They trust you. They open up more, they open up more, they open up more. And then they tell you, I mean, and it follows that thing I said earlier, like we love them. They're great. Been with them for a long time. They're pretty good. Do a good job. Have a few problems. Yeah. We've struggled with this. That's never been fixed. We're really unhappy. But it, it it doesn't just go right to we're really unhappy very often. And honestly, the truth of the matter is when it does, you should be very careful. Because if I say to you, Jeb, I've used five different vendors. They all suck. None of them could meet my needs. Okay, wait a second. Out of five, you're over five. Might not be the vendors. Yes, that's exactly right. And, you know, this is, uh, you just mentioned something that made me think, you know, one of the, one of the problems in, in, in a lot of cases, you ask them what your pain points are, you ask them what's compelling you to want to change what your problems are. Sometimes they don't even know. Right. I've, I've walked through, you know, operations. I always do plant tours and facility tours and even office tours with executives I like to walk around with them and have them talk. And a lot of times I'm asking questions about why do you do that or what is that over there or how come this is happening? And they've, they've walked through the place so many times that they're, 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 they're numb to it. They're, it's invisible to them. And until I, I point it out or ask a question about it, and my question is just to ask them and sometimes they'll stop and go, why are we doing it that way? Or yeah. that doesn't make any sense. Or we have a policy against that. Why are we doing it? And it, because the, a lot of times the people that you're dealing with, especially when you're dealing with, you know, business services that someone else is using, they're completely disconnected. I hope you enjoyed this installment of my conversation with Anthony and Reno about competitive displacement and his brand new book, Eat Their Lunch. 
make sure you come back for the next segment and make sure that you go to outboundcards.com. That's outboundcards.com to learn how you can use this amazing platform to differentiate yourself, stand out among your competitors and eat your competitors lunch. That's outboundcards.com and your first card is absolutely free.